Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Blink49 Studios Chief Executive John Moranis about the Endeavour Content Back Company's first projects. Disney, EMEA, Vice President of Animation Orion Ross on the Mouse House's new series and Black Box Multimedia Head of Development Chiara Cardoso on the dramas it has coming out of the UK, Italy and Spain. Launched around seven months ago, Endeavour content-backed Blink49 Studios has gathered momentum quickly with high-profile executive appointments and talent deals with the likes of Sherry Elwood and Ben Sokolowski. The company also recently secured its first two green lights with multi-generational drama Ride, co-produced with 724 Films for Hallmark Channel, and drama Sight Unseen, co-produced with Sisters Trubetskoy Productions for Bell Media's CTV. Chief Executive John Morena spoke to C21 North American editor Jordan Pinto at the Banff World Media Festival recently about the growing demand for authentically Canadian content, assessing potential M&A opportunities and where Blink49 goes from here. About six years ago, you were speaking to the CRTC as part of a, uh, a, a panel, basically. It was like one of these CanCon consultations. Yeah. And um, you were basically saying Canadian content is kind of undervalued in international markets and essentially... Uh, um, Canadian content is almost discounted when compared to American and mm-hmm. UK programming. Yeah. That was six years ago. I'd be interested to, to get your thoughts on what you think today. Like, I'd say, you know, I think it's fair to say the, the Canadian industry has had some really big hits in that time. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to kind of get your thoughts on has have things changed? Um, I think they're changing. So, yeah, I think it's definitely evolving. It's one of the reasons we started Blink 49 is because we, we see the evolution that's happening. And it's not just in Canada, right? It's... It, it's international content. There's a wave, mm-hmm. partly because of the proliferation of all the global streamers that are looking at local markets to, um, you know, to you know, ensure that they are um, resonating with the local viewers. Yeah. But those shows are actually catching on, not just within the local territory, but around the world. And so there's, I think, there's a way more of, of an openness to accepting international content. Canada. It's always been a unique, uh, unique situation, especially English language Canada, right? Because it's so closely aligned with the United States, mm-hmm. same language, very similar culture. Um, so the result was, in some ways, the Canadian content that's been that was produced in English-speaking Canada was somewhat watered down because they weren't sure what they were doing. Were they trying to make it look like a, an American show, mm-hmm. or you know, and, and they're almost too afraid to make it? to Canadian because be like, why would anyone buy a Canadian show that looks and feels Canadian? And I think what's happened now is that, uh, and it's even for me, like my view has evolved. When I moved from Toronto LA and was building, you know, was part of Alliance and Alliance Atlantis and then Blueprint and E1, I kind of feel partly I was running away from Canada. I was running away. Like I wanted to sort of say, I want to make American shows because they do it better. And I think what's happened now is that authenticity of culture and location, geography, voices, stories have becoming much more important. And every, I think there's an understanding now that you know that a universal theme can can emanate from a very local and specific and even small story. Mm-hmm. And so I think as a result, the world is starting to embrace that. Idea, and I think what's happening is, especially the new voices that are coming from Canada, they're they're looking at the world market and not necessarily 
you know, starting with the premise that there's a financing model that makes sense in Canada, and that's what I'm going to get my story told. Mm-hmm. That's still the case, but it's also about, I have a great story, and there's a market for my story. Of course, there's a market for my story in Canada, but there's also a market for my story around the world. And I can make it any number of ways. Maybe I'll get it financed in Canada. Maybe I'll sell it to a Canadian broadcaster. Maybe I'll sell it to a UK buyer. Maybe I'll sell it to... So the idea that this world market mm-hmm. is embracing Canadian stories the way they're embracing other cultures and other countries' stories is just, I think, becoming more apparent. And that just creates a level of confidence and willingness to experiment uh, and take chances on those voices. So in some ways... Now, instead of running away from Canada, the whole point of Blink.9 is we're kind of going, no, no, we're coming back Mm -hmm. because we see those opportunities and those stories need to be told and they can be told by Canadians and made by Canadians. I think it was about seven months ago now that the the official announcement about Blink uh, Blink 49 Studios officially launching went out. Um, Before we, obviously quite a few shows have been announced this week, which is fantastic, but but before we talk about those, has anything surprised you about this this first seven months? You know, when you, I think it's been a while since you'd launched a completely new company. So had there been anything that um, either surprised you or did you learn anything new about the market that maybe you you didn't? No. Um, sure. Well, I'm always learning. So that's, um, everything surprises me. So I think getting two shows greenlit, you know, within, I don't know how long it's been. We launched in November. So is that seven months? Um, uh, that was surprising, mm-hmm. you know, um, and obviously, you know, cause we had a plan of a lot of organic development, yeah. which we know has a timeline of 12, 18 months, yeah. 24 months, 36 months mm-hmm. to get it to green light. So the fact that we got these two orders right out of the gate was both surprising, but when you look at them, both of the shows, you go like, oh, that makes sense for us to be doing these shows. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky enough that we had partners, you know, um, that exposed those shows to us. Um, and we were able to sort of, you know, um, get ourselves involved as a studio and as a distributor and a deficit financier. So that's, that I think was surprising. Obviously that's on a micro level because those are in terms of like the industry. Not, I mean, honestly, part of it, I'm surprised. I mean, cause again, we had a plan of launching Blink with this kind of lean in Canadian strategy. And while I believe in it, I didn't, I wasn't sure, you know, if it was going to sort of build right away or whether there was going to be sort of a, a, a process to sort of, you know, see that idea come to fruition. What I guess I was surprised about is that idea of leaning into Canadian storytelling, Canadian voices has been really well embraced. Like, so we knew we were onto something and we knew that, that, you know, this is a good idea that was a building, but I think uh, I, I, I'm surprised about how well it's been embraced. Yeah. So quickly. Mm-hmm. So it means that we're right. And I guess a lot of other people kind of saw the same thing we saw. You're more than smart enough to know that you can't expect to get the green light straight out of the gate. It could have, you know, as you said, it could have been as much as 36 months. You can never really tell. Mm-hmm. Um, was it, was it, a, is it a relief to get those, to get those green lights kind of under your belt quickly rather than, because I suppose if you trickle past the one year mark, you're starting to think, okay, um, <laughs> we've been doing this for a year. We, we kind right. of catered to this, but we, you know, we need to, we need something to happen quite soon. Right. Um, like, yeah, so not, not, not really. I mean, obviously we always, I mean, we love shows going into production. I mean, that's what we're doing. That's what we're in business to do is to make stuff. But, um, I think that, um, it wasn't a relief in the sense that, you know, we had a very clear, we think we're very realistic. Mm-hmm. We're conservative with our approach to business. We always have been in all the companies we built. And so, you know, we had a clear plan about, about how we're going to build this business and we yeah. raised capital 
based on that, yeah. based on the idea that there is a timeline to getting stuff going. Um, so it, it wasn't a relief in the sense that, oh, thank, you know, thank goodness we've got these shows. It was more of a, again, to your point, it was a surprise. And then if anything, it was, wow, we got to build our infrastructure way more quickly because it's one thing to have a slate of development that you're overseeing and nurturing and moving forward, but it's another thing to sort of also oversee two shows. So for us, it was more about, uh-oh, we have to hire people. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've been really focusing on right now. Okay. Yeah. And th these are people to, to oversee the productions, presumably. Well, it's a combination, you know, with, with Carolyn Newman and Virginia Rankin, sort of our, our senior creative team, you know, they're, they've been sort of, you know, focusing on a development slate. And then as these shows right. got greenlit or even obviously pre-green light as we were building towards getting them greenlit, you know, they started to have to pivot, pivot into that. So it's a combination of, you know, we don't want them just abandoning shows that are heading to production because their their point of view and their skill set and expertise are so valuable to execution that you know we're not set up the way a studio would be set up where we have a current team and a development team they're doing everything so it's both it's like yes we need more we need more support on the production side but we also need support on the development side so that Carolyn Virginia can also devote time you know as these shows move forward into Production. So it's, it's all around. It's everything from business affairs to, you know, production to more creative uh, execs to just, you know, back office. It's everything. It's a normal course, high class problem when, you know, your volume gets ahead of your infrastructure. Yeah. So it's all it's all positive and good news. Mm -hmm. It just means that, you know, so the it's not really so the, it's not relief. It's more, oh, oh. We better build. We have to build quicker. I, is is Blink Forty Nine? Are you looking at acquiring any companies as well? Is that part of the is that part of the business plan, or are you in a phase of you know get the two first two years under your belt and then assess after that? No, the plan is always that right out of the gate, we are um, uh, part part of the capital we raise is meant to be deployed to invest in Canadian based production companies in all genres, right? scripted, unscripted, you know everything. So. That is in process. Um, you know, these deals don't happen necessarily quickly. And originally, you know, the assumption was we would have been closing these deals on the M&A side before we had production just because of the nature of and the timeline of development. So now it's gone the other way around. So productions happen first, but we're still in the process of, you know, uh, both discussions and negotiations. And we are moving forward with some investment opportunities. And we're hoping we'll be able to talk about more specifically in the next few months. Yes, uh, John, obviously you've been around through various phases of industry consolidation and, and the boom periods. Um, I think people are talking at the moment about um, you know, contraction um, for, some of, some of the big, uh, for some of the big companies. How, how do you think about Blink 49 as, you know, as, an, indie, as, a, as an indie studio in that um, ecosystem? How, do you, how, do you, how does your approach change, if at all, when you, when you think there might be some shrinking happening um, at some of the larger companies? I think it's actually good news for us because I think we're being a smaller independent um, that isn't aligned with any one network or platform or buyer, um, I think gives us a huge advantage over some of the bigger companies that are kind of, you know, looking at, you know, ways to create synergies and, and how to contract. And, you know, they've been spending a lot of money on programming. They've also been spending a lot of money on programming to own worldwide. So in, in, in this environment, I think there's always an opportunity for independence to thrive because, you know, we're more nimble. We can develop, we can develop for multiple buyers. Uh, we can help support those buyers by uh, co-funding uh, both development and, and production. 
so that they can also have a more of a diverse slate. I think all of those buyers, whether they're contracting or growing, are looking for more diverse voices and stories. And I think a lot of that diversity comes from independents because independents, just by definition, are more connected to their local territory or country or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're specialists, right, in a market. And so I think there is an advantage to being a specialist in a market and bringing that to both small buyers and large buyers who are all going through their own metamorphosis. Yeah. Um, the, the talent deals, um, yeah, but Bank 49's obviously um, announced a few uh, different uh, talent deals and, and, and another one today. W- was that always core to the strategy when you launched the company or was it, was it more opportunistic when you, you know, you've, you've started forging some of these um, partnerships? Um, a mix of both. I mean, there's always been a plan of ours to have some deals, whether they're first look deals or overall deals or, you know, whatever you want to call them with. Um, writers, writer producers. Um, we think that's important to have, you know, uh, in addition to one-off projects and going after IP and optioning material, to also establish more formalized relationships mm-hmm. with certain writer producers that we think are prolific, that have the ability not only to develop and sell and execute on their own shows, but also that we can partner with um, younger writers, with less experienced creators. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a, it's. That's really what we're trying to do here is, is you know, not only um, have deals that will generate material and ultimately shows, but also for those writer producers to work with us on sort of a mentorship level to help, you know, um, those new voices tell their stories. But, you know, they have a lot to say, but they also need to develop the skill set to execute, to, to make those stories compelling and commercial. John Moranis speaking with Jordan Pinto. Disney Amir unveiled three new original animated series for Disney Plus and its other platforms at the Annecy International Animation Festival in France last week. Cybergroup Studios' Dragon Striker, Xylem Animation's The Doomies, and in-house original Zombies' The Reanimated Series all joined the Disney lineup across the region. The company also renewed Chippendale Park Life and Monsters at Work for second seasons. The Walt Disney Company and Mia Vice President of Animation Orion Ross spoke to Carolina Kaminska at the event about these shows, the kinds of programmes the firm is still seeking, the success it's had with acquisitions like Bluey and its continued commitment to co-productions like PJ Masks, Miraculous, Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir and new title The Unstoppable Yellow Yeti. We're looking for kids and family um, series from European and also African creators um, that will resonate with audiences around the world. So these are run by Europe and created in in, in Europe or, or, or other parts of the region, um, but they're for global audiences. So first and foremost, we're looking for big ideas that can travel and big ideas that will deliver on kind of core Disney values of optimism and positivity and there's a lot of emotional warmth in them so we want things that feel totally like they can belong on Disney but at the same time we don't want to do things stylistically that maybe feel like old-fashioned Disney we don't want to be just rehashing the same things that we've been doing for the last hundred years and we also want to complement the slate that's coming out of the US um, so there's there's I, I think with with the Dewey's we've got something that's set in a very specific place 
done, it has a real sense of place to it, and you would have seen that from the artwork, but it, it's set in this spooky, moody town in northern France, and, and while it is the spooky comedy you know, where two kids are in the center of a supernatural mystery is a familiar genre uh, that works really well. Um, this particular setting and this particular take on it is fresh. And so we're looking for something that that, that has has a fresh angle on the kind of stories that our audience is going to love um, and that has an authentic voice behind it. Um, the creators are, are French and the graphic style of the series is, is quite distinctive from this... Um, designer and graphic novelist and artist called Posla. He's one of these French artists who has one name. His real name is Remy Zaro. But he's he's published some really amazing books. He's also directed some animation films and really and, and also exhibited his own solo artwork. He has a really distinct kind of character design and graphic style. So it's the it's the distinct visual point of view that kind of needs to be animated and and something new to say with dragon striker we hadn't done any heavily serialized animation uh before for certainly not from from emea and we know that our audience loves it we know that streaming services are are are, are new so actually looking at serialized adventure is a, is a is a strategy for us just that genre alone and so not everything we do is going to look like anime but I think we're inspired by the sophistication of anime storytelling and the multi-season story arcs and the world building and the character development that you see in anime series. So definitely just serialized adventure is a key thing. More comedy is a key thing, right? Great character-driven comedies that are, that are doing something fresh for kids 6 to 14 and, and families. So those two things, adventure, comedy, and we are also continuing to develop preschool we didn't have any preschool, new preschool to announce today, except for Kia and PJs, our, our co-productions. But we are we are developing a bunch, and we're trying to develop preschool that similarly doesn't feel like what we're doing in the U.S. They they do you know if you'd seen the slate today, there was a lot of show tunes, and there was a lot of uh, and they do that so brilliantly. So what can we do that's different? We can look for grounded comedies. We can look for different animation styles. We can look for um, different kinds of 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 stories um so that i mean honestly the 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 strategy is very straightforward make a couple shows a year that are really strong with the best talent we can find in the region that is going to work on both linear and streaming so we you know we, we see these things coexisting for a while um streaming of course becomes more and more important all the time but we really want things that are going to live on both and it's very much a curated quality first kind of strategy we want to be able to make a couple of really big shows and really get audiences behind them rather than trying to kind of find something to to fill every niche and so um you've spoken there about overall the kinds of things that 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 disney is after Um, but is there anything a bit more specifically that you're looking for right now that maybe you don't have and it's something that you think could really complement your slate um, I'd like to see more grounded family comedies on preschool and shows that are not necessarily just about a specific play pattern or about a, a, a specific kind of animation style. Um, there seems to be a lot of sameness in preschool. 
What I love about Bluey, which is a show that we had nothing to do with, except that some people in our company were smart enough to buy it for our channels, which is which I'm really happy about, is that is is it Bluey is is uh, is is just a brilliant grounded family comedy that kids you know that little kids and parents both like, and it's it's truly warm and charming and surprising and funny, and and you can never recreate. You can't just say, oh, I want more Bluey, and everybody's trying to do Bluey. But what I what I get from that is is that any animation style can work as long as the show is great and it's well executed so this idea that every preschool show has to be cg or kids will only watch cg it's just not true if the show is good and even with with adult comedies you know kids love the simpsons they they're very happy to you know they'll come to it fresh even though they're 20 year old episodes right and still love it because it's funny and it's well made and so it, it's really heartening that that we continue that we can continue to innovate in style and we can continue to look for things. We can't just say, oh no, everything has to look like a CG movie and that's the only kind of animation we can ever do. I, we're never going to do that. And you can see from our slate that, that we're really agnostic when it comes to animation style and we embrace all styles from anime to CG to 2D comedy um, and we're going we're gonna to keep doing that. And how important are co-productions and partnerships across the EMEA region to you? Really important. I mean, our, our, our biggest global hits that we've worked on that have come from EMEA are PJ Masks and Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir, and we worked on those from the very beginning um, as co-productions and as creative partners with the studios that made them, but they're not our shows. They're not Disney-branded shows, uh, but they are, they are really important to Disney Junior and Disney Channel and now to Disney Plus, both gone to five seasons. Uh, PJ is going forward to six. I think you will see more Miraculous, too. I don't think that property is <laughs> it's going away anytime soon. So really important and that model works for us and it works for independent producers and we we will see a slate of originals coexisting with a slate of co-productions and we will continue to work on on both models um new ones like the unstoppable yellow yeti from Gigglebug are working really well for us as we've launched it so far we're really pleased with the initial results we have season two in development that's another co-production for an older kids comedy so it's, it's super important. And because we're not a studio ourselves, we can't just take all the talent and bring them into our own studio and just work in-house. We, we depend on the independent production community. And I think sometimes that means sharing the rights or not having all the rights. But it's great that we also have the opportunity to fully fund productions at a really high level and give them a global audience by making them as originals. So that is also a great opportunity for producers. Um, you talk to talk to producers, and sometimes sometimes they they want to keep the rights, and sometimes they just want to get the show made and not have to worry about <laughs> highly problematic issues of pulling together an international co-production. So both are both are important, and both will coexist. What would you say are the biggest trends that you're seeing in the animation space at the moment? Um, I mean, there's 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 still a a, a real rush to revisit you know as, as there has been for a while there's a rush to to revisit existing ips um and 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 i hope that and we've certainly done that with our own disney properties and rebooted them and reinvented them and it's great to 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 start with uh characters that an audience already knows and loves but i i would like to see more 
uh, risks taken on original IP, um, and especially for, for kids and family. Um, I, f I feel like the, the trend I'm seeing is we're still, we're still in a world of, of a lot of safe bets. And even though we're at kind of, you know, peak production, there's more animation happening than ever before, um, it feels like there's a, there's a real need to, to innovate a little bit more and take a few more risks. That's not a trend, that's a recommendation. <laughs> so trends that, I, trends that I'm seeing, um, I don't know, maybe Bluey is a trend. Maybe Bluey has woken up people to the fact that, you know, you can, you can mess with the format. Um, well, I, I was just going to say on, on that subject. What have you seen? In well, well <laughs> last time I saw you um, at Cartoon Next in Marseille, you mentioned that you were seeing more experimentation in genre. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we, I have a colleague here um, from the Disney Unscripted team in the US. And you wouldn't normally expect a kind of documentary person to come to an animation festival, but actually... There have been a number of really brilliant animated documentaries. That's not something that I work on directly, but it's becoming part of so many... Animation is becoming part of so many different kinds of productions. So there may be an animated section to it, or it may be a documentary subject that's so sensitive or difficult you don't have the footage for, like Waltz with Bashir or Flea, where it's a story that really makes sense to tell, and it, because you can tell a very personal, very intimate story in a way that doesn't feel so invasive um, if you had to do it in live action or where you just may not have the footage. So that's that's a really exciting one, which I think is slowly but surely becoming more mainstream and, and, and more interesting. And I think there is, um, you know, uh, anime, uh, certainly on our, our other platforms, Birdstar and, and Hulu, there's a lot more animation for grown-ups coming. So that's, that's going to keep happening. Um, I always go back to the Brad Bird quote that animation is not a genre, right? Animation is just a medium. So you can't define what the content is just by saying it's animated. Uh, and, 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 and I would like to see more of that. Um, what would you say are the biggest challenges and opportunities in animation at the moment? Um, and how do you think the sector will evolve over, over the next few years? I think um, challenges are... Are, are really around finding the, the right partner for your project. And that works both ways. So for a, for a broadcaster or a platform that wants a certain kind of show, finding the, the right people who can deliver it reliably on time at a high level of quality is more difficult than ever just because the industry is more busy than ever and the, the good studios are busy and you, you it, it's there, there's an issue around capacity in some cases and and so I think it puts the burden on us as commissioners to be a really good partner and to make sure that and, and that isn't just about funding and budgets it's about creative considerations it's about the working relationship it's about you know animation takes a long time and so you've got to be you've got to be a good partner through that and then you have to make sure that you're able to launch and promote shows in a way that's going to get them seen um, and and you know what the aftercare <laughs> that's required once a show is delivered to make sure that it that it that it lives on and it gets in front of audiences so so the challenge is 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 just the market being crowded and fragmented 
and how do you how do you make your show cut through as a creator or producer? That's incredibly important. But it's the same for the broadcasters and platforms. How do you how do you get the shows that you make? That that's very much why our approach is about let's focus on doing a couple of things really well. And even with all the the huge slate that was presented today, what that really means, you know, is that you'll be you'll be launching one kids, older kids comedy sort of per quarter so you can make noise about it at that time. You're not launching six of them at the same time and you make sure they get some space and you're looking at how you're intelligently windowing it between linear and streaming to get the best reach and the best promotion for it. So depending on the show, it might be streaming first and then linear or it might be linear first and then streaming or simultaneously just to try and get the, get the reach out there. So that's it. so the challenge is, is, is cutting through in a fragmented market. I think that's, I think everybody's feeling that right now. The opportunities are just that there are more people commissioning more high quality animation than ever before. So in some ways it's a, it's a producer's market and there are, there are better budgets and more creative freedom available because everybody wants it. Everybody wants more animation, more people are commissioning. And it's, and it's actually great for the industry that it's so healthy and that there are so many, so many platforms commissioning because, you know, to really create excellent work, you need a, a, a healthy ecosystem of talent. It can't just be a one or two horse kind of town, right? You've got to have, you've got to have a lot of people in the work. So that's a huge opportunity and it's incredible. You can see from how busy it is here, like how important animation is to everybody. We have execs from Disney at a level who've never been here before and they're, you know, they're seeing the importance of it and it's really important for for Disney as a company, not just the animation bits of Disney to turn up and be noticed and show what a good partner we can be um, for talent. So yeah, we're, we're fighting for talent like anyone else. Um, what are your goals and ambitions at Disney for the next year or so? Uh, get these shows made, right? And get, get more originals into, in, into production. Make sure that, that these, these, you know, it's a, it's a really important goal and, you know, a, a burden to make sure that these, and a priority, to make sure that this, this first slate of EMA originals are great and make sure that they are not just, you know, disappear as kind of interesting local projects and that they cut through globally. So it's, that's what we do every day is try to make every production as <laughs> and help the producers make every production as good as it can possibly be within the budget that they have. And the, so the original slate is incredibly important. I think also getting um, Kizazimoto finished and, and launched is a really complicated production. It's, it's like making their short films, but they feel like features because of the, the complexity and ambition of, of each one of them. So, and again, you know, it can't be terrible. It's got to be great, right? And that is the... That, that was a huge goal for me. So yeah, it's it's the originals are incredibly important. Great thing about co-productions, they you know they, they have a momentum of their own. Um, on the originals, you need you need to make sure that that you're there uh, every day, making them as good as they can possibly be, and and being a good partner to the teams working on it throughout, so that they will bring you their next great idea. Ryan Ross speaking with Carolina Kaminska. 
With offices in London, Rome and Madrid, Black Box Multimedia is developing a slate of international scripted projects overseen by Chiara Cardosa, who's been with the company since it was founded by former Lionsgate UK Chief Operating Officer Guy Afshalom. Cardosa spoke to Nico Franks about the dramas it's developing out of the UK, Italy and Spain, including a project set in 1980s Madrid based on the true story of the Ruiz Brothers' video games empire, working together with EO Media and Scenic Rights. So I'm Chiara Cardoso, I'm the Head of Development at Black Box Multimedia. We are a company that was set up four years ago by um, Guy Avshalom and uh, Giuliano Papadia. Guy was previously the COO at Lionsgate UK and Giuliano was the Head of Programming Strategy for Fox Network Group for Europe and Africa. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about Black Box, the idea behind the company, I've been um, working here since its inception and the idea has always been to try and develop and produce high-end content for uh, TV and we're now getting into films as well and um, you know wherever the story comes from we'll be you know we'll we'll be happy and as much as it's about story first and stories that we think will appeal to international audiences so you know we're all we can be stories that come from one country the country that we adapt for another country it can be you know finding uh, the right voice and bringing it onto a project Mm no matter where where they're coming from and yeah this is kind of what we do across different territories and different languages you're based in london uh, but black box has a presence in italy and spain so tell me a bit about how those all work together so the team is uh, quite small we like to keep it uh, lean and flexible uh, we are now expanding we've just hired three new members of staff that will be joining us over the course of the summer but the idea is to have the headquarters in london where my Myself and Giuliano, our CEO, is uh, is based, and to be across, you know, we oversee the entire slate. We have an English language slate, which includes projects that are thought for the UK and projects that are thought as international co-productions, as well as an, a, a Spanish-speaking slate and an Italian. And we have a few Italian-speaking projects on the on the slate as well that we're developing. Yeah, so you know, the people that we have on the ground in Italy and in Spain, obviously, are the ones that are, um, you know, in the front line when it comes to working with the talent hands-on. Obviously, you know, the pandemic in this respect has helped businesses like us that were structured in a way where remote, you know, we were using Zoom before Zoom became a thing, so, you know, so to speak. Uh, And as a result, we've got partners all over the world. We're very big on co-productions. I would say that 90% of our slate is currently set up with one or more than one partners in different territories. The idea is that we can bring you know, a network of uh, international connections that can help securing gap financing, securing distributors, but we're creative producers at heart. So the idea is, you know, we'll find a story that we think has the right elements to, to travel and to be developed. And then, you know, say that we're working as it's happening on a story that is set in, uh, in Mexico, we will look for a Mexican partner or a Latin American partner to begin with to ensure that there is authenticity, but always with an eye to the global market. Yeah, because I think people speak a lot about the links between Spain and Latin America, but obviously that's a huge continent and they're not super, you know, they have lots in common, but they're also different in their own various ways. So how are you marrying those two areas together? Well, you know, obviously the language is is the same one, but it's, you know, I would not not say that Catalan is the same as Mexican or, you know, uh, Argentinian. It's interesting, you know, to, and the more we're working with local partners, the more you get to this 
discovered funnels because you get to see different places and discover different cultures. And for sure, I would never say that if we're working on a Spanish project, it will necessarily thought for Spain or originated in Spain. It will automatically translate into Latin America or vice versa. But, you know, in general, what we try and do is find stories that have a heart, an authentic heart that will speak to the you know, Mexican audiences or Spanish audiences. But, you know, being Italian, living in London, the idea is that I'm going to look at projects with an eye for, you know, for stories to speak to audiences all over the world. So this is ultimately what we at Black Box always look for. It's that combination of authenticity and global appeal at the same time. And how are you seeing the Italian and the Spanish markets kind of evolve? Because I was chatting to someone the other day about how 10 years ago when we were writing about Spain, it was very much doom and gloom. You know, the, the financial mm-hmm. crisis had really hit Spain hard. You know, when we were writing about Spain, it was about companies going out of business, whereas now it's kind of completely different. Okay. Does that feel feel the yeah. same way? Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's exploded. The, you know, in, in the, the, the industry is changing, has changed since Black Box started. And we, you know, we always had an eye out for Spain because obviously Spanish language travels incredibly well. So we, it was always a market that we were interested in from the beginning. And seeing, um, you know, the number of agencies, for example, that have opened in Spain and, you know, the entire industry structuring in a way that little by little resembles more and more what the, you know, Anglo-Saxon, British, American uh, industries have um, looked like. It's been incredible as well as, you know, seeing audiences discovering stories that a few years ago just weren't available and then seeing, you know, first seeing British audiences falling in love with the Spanish language shows like Casa de Papel and then little by little having talent like Alex Pina going on to developing English language shows and stepping on to a different kind of market, um, you know, potentially bigger at the moment. Uh, but, you know, so it's 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 been, it's incredibly freeing, I would say as well, also because, you know, on the one hand, because you export, the, the export of Spanish content has become much easier. But at the same time, finally, there is room to say, you know, we've got English creators that are interested in telling a story that is set in Spain. The industry is opening up to allow the stories to emerge and to be developed properly to give you, you know, a concrete example. We've been working with um, Gabby Kiap and Alexander uh, Perrin on a project called Costa. It was a very unique thriller set on the Costa del Sol that, you know, it was an original idea of theirs that they brought to us about a British woman who lives on the Costa del Sol. It's a sort of, you know, think uh, ghost meets narcos. It's a very particular love story, crime story, you know, there are elements both. And so we developed it and then brought it to Mark Lover at Lionsgate. He loved it. He saw the potential to be able to do something that would cover both, you know, have some really great British writers, but being able to shoot it in Spain and open it up to Spanish broadcasters. So we partnered with Lionsgate and then we brought on board a fantastic Spanish partner, Dopamine, and uh, we're now in the process of further developing the, the project together. We're, you know, and uh, we'll be taking it back to market soon. But, you know, a story like this a few years ago would have been a lot harder to to be made it wouldn't necessarily have been it, it would i think it would have been a lot harder to bring different producers together different buyers together and whilst nowadays it's you know it's 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 a way to make sh- shows happen faster and with uh, you know i think with the the degree of collaboration and the kind of collaboration it's not just financial it's creative as well and the product is i think is very unique and there's also so a project that was announced in may so excuse my spanish pronunciation but la historia de dynamic yes a project that we're incredibly excited about and they're just 
just we're beginning our journey now. So together with our trusted collaborator, Ezekiel Olzanski from Yo Media uh, Distribution, well, this book was brought to us by our, uh, another trusted partner that we have in Spain. You know, this is the great thing about this, you know, the way in which we work is that you then find different countries in different ways, partners and collaborators that you keep on going back to. So Scenic Right uh, brought us the, the book written by uh, Jesus Martinez del Vaz, and which is about the incredible stories of the Ruiz brothers and uh, the rise and fall and rise again of, uh, of dynamic video game company. And the reason why we were jumped on it as soon as we could was not only because, you know, this, it's a true story about some incredible people um, who were kids at the beginning who did, achieved incredible things and changed, um, you know, the history of video games uh, in the large part. But it was a story that would allow us to explore Spain and explore Madrid in the 80s, the Movida Madrileña, which is a period that, you know, I think outside of Spain, not that many people know about, and that inside of Spain hasn't really been explored on, on, on television. And as we were, you know, we, we decided that we were going to develop a show out of it, we approached or were approached, I mean, we had a common interest in the story with uh, Javier Olivares, Bruno Teixedor, and Pablo Lara Toledo. Javier is, of course, the creator of El Ministerio del Tiempo, and Bruno and Pablo have been working with him and have been working together for a long time. And, you know, as incredible writers, we said, you know, it's a partnership made in heaven. And so we started developing a show, a show together based on the book. And again, we're, you know, we're out on the market with it at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting because I think when people maybe hear high-end Spanish drama, they assume maybe it's going to be a period drama. And I suppose 1980s, it is, you know, it's a few years ago now. It's Period, period is, you know, anything pre-iPhone. So I think, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but was that a purposeful <laughs> thing in like you were saying that, that no, no. an era that hasn't really been been shown before for us it's always about finding stories that have something you know saying why hasn't this been done before and you know under you know also finding stories that will speak to different audiences at the same time not just in terms of nationality but also you know this is a show for video game fans it's a story for like you know people who were born or grew up in that in that time that remember it and so you know has that nostalgia element like a stranger things but also you know it's it's to uh it's for international audiences that do not remember it that do not know nothing about it to discover something new so you know older audiences younger audiences people who are interested in you know let's call it historical fiction or video games true stories you know it's uh it's uh it's got a, a little bit for everyone whilst remaining incredibly unique Another project that we'll soon be able to get eyes on. So the ex-wife. So that's one of Paramount Plus's first UK originals. So tell me about how Blackbox became involved in that. So we were pitched the book by uh, the author's agent. Uh, this was uh, three years ago. We really loved it. We thought there was an appetite on the market for um, you know domestic thrillers of this kind that would be you know limited, really punchy shows. That there's always a possibility to return, but at the moment it's sort of as a limited series and. And then we had been trying to find something to adapt or to work on with Catherine Stedman, who's uh, an actor and a best-selling author herself. And she loved the book as much as we did. And so started developing it with her. It was one of those stories that had the right combination of elements for us to set up, you know, the sort of international co-productions that we've envisaged from the beginning of it, from the birth of the company. So we partnered with Night Train Media. And then through Night Train Media, then Clapperboard Studios came, became involved as well 
we set it up with uh, Seb here at Paramount. And uh, sure enough, a year later, we wrapped and we're currently in post-production. And it's looking amazing. Brian O'Malley is the director and we've got Celine Buckins in the lead role of Tasha, Tom Meissen and Janet Montgomery. And, you know, we really, we all, you know, the, it's been a great experience. We wanted to create a show that would feel premium, high-end, um, very cinematic in its look and feel and with some incredible performances. All in all, it was a fantastic experience for, I think, I would hope for everyone involved. And uh, we're very excited at the idea of, you know, when it's going, when we're going to be able to share it with the rest of the world. Yeah, it's interesting. So Black Box, Clapperboard, Night Train, they're all companies that were set up, I think, well, 2020, maybe 2019, but, you know, in the relatively new companies. So is yeah. there kind of a common dialogue or a common language that companies have, that have been set up in recent years share? First of all, I think the willingness and, you know, seeing collaborations and co-productions as a, as a value and something that, you know, we can all benefit from. We're all bringing different skills and different connections and different viewpoints to the market. You know, Clapperboard obviously has been producing a lot of uh, really great uh, Channel 5 dramas. So now the UK market, Inside Out, Night Train, and then Ultra Media, who boarded uh, as distrib- distributors as well, know the international market um, incredibly well. We've been, you know, hands-on with the, the development process with the talent. And so it's been about bringing, in, you know, bringing different sorts of expertise together as young companies teaming up and uh, makes us stronger, more dynamic. There are more things that we can do. And I think we're also more in tune in some ways with where the market is going, the zeitgeist, new ways, you know, we're open to new ways of doing things. And I think that international co-productions are something that we'll see more and more of, uh, you know, since, I mean, things have changed uh, remarkably even just since we started and it's, it's going very well. Um, we've got a number of other uh, collaborations set up, as I said, you know, with EO Media Distribution in Argentina. We've, we've been developing a project based on the book, uh, Diario de un Killer Sentimental by Luis Sepulveda that we're now adapting as a, as a film. And again, you know, that's a Chilean author who was incredibly popular in Europe. Uh, and it's a story that takes place between Italy, Spain, France, uh, Latin America. So, you know, it's international in its DNA. So it's only natural that the production setup reflects that. And how about working with Paramount Plus? Because they're also a very new platform uh, that's about to launch. So what, what were their demands like compared to other broadcasters or streamers that you've worked with? They were fantastic. I mean, it's been, you know, it's been a great collaboration with uh, Seb, Paul and, and their team, you know, very supportive um, of uh, our work, of the talent, of the, you know, the writers for the development and the casting process. And, you know, we're hoping to be working a lot more with them in the near future. Finally, how about the streaming scene in Italy? It seems like Spain, the UK, uh, lots of other countries have big, you know, streaming presence. What's it like in Italy at the moment? You know, I mean, it's um, it's just like in Spain, like in the UK, you know, Netflix, Amazon have, um, you know, really disrupted the market and some great things have come out of, of it, not just in terms of amazing shows uh, and films, but also, you know, the possibility for younger talent to get a shot at, you know, developing, creating shows for young, for, you know, new faces to, to emerge, you know, Netflix has found some of the, you know, who have now become already in just a few years uh, leading actors and actresses. And, you know, it, it's obvious, obviously, you know, Italy is slightly different as a country in terms of the, the, the outreach that the language has in comparison to English content, uh, English language content or Spanish content, just because 
because of you know the size of the Spanish-speaking market or the English-speaking market. But you know, when when you hear you know local shows, uh, uh, Gomorra was one of the of the starting points of this sort of you know revolution of you know when European content can finally you know has finally started to emerge. So you know we're a storytelling country by definition. So you know it's just uh, it's 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 very it's very exciting and you know obviously Italy has some fantastic tax incentives uh, and regional soft money so you know we are black box are now you use Italy as our production hub when it comes to producing our content even if it's language English language content uh, but you know shooting it in Italy to try and make the most of um, what the country has to offer in terms of production support and you know create an organic flux of work and giving uh, Italian crews who are the highest quality the chance to then want to work on different projects and you know it's always you know it's always nice when you say you know let's go and shoot something in Rome or in the Costiera Malfitana for a couple of months you know it's uh, there's a, an enticing and an, an extra incentive there and just finally if there was like one challenge that you could find a solution to in 2022 and beyond what would that be well you know we're in we're in a very good moment for the company so you know if you asked me a, a couple of years ago it would have been you know giving new companies new talents a chance I think is vital being open-minded and for people in the industry across the board from producers to commissioners to agents to talent to you know remember that you need new energy new voices new ideas and new stories to come in and that only happens if you're giving newcomers a chance it's taking that leap it's taking those risks because I think that creativity across the board you know from how you know from how projects from a creative point of view but also financially you know being creative and thinking outside the box and finding new ways it's not just because it hasn't been done before it cannot be done and it's thinking creatively and being willing to take those risks i think it's it's something that there is never enough of chiara cardoso speaking with nico franks that's all for this episode but you can hear more discussion by tuning into our c21 fm internet radio station where you'll find new interviews airing from monday The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 